Ladies and gentlemen, the three knockdown rule is in effect on UFC Fight Pass. I'm Steve Kim, joined by Mario Viva Mexico Lopez. It's the return of Canelo. Big show this That's, week there. I'm, I'm glad uh, you have a moniker for me this week. I'm also glad we both got the memo to wear our green shirts. <laughs> So there's good for uh, good. Uh, that's good indication of the show to come. Shout out to uh, Smoking Tim Frazier here and uh, Tino. Tino on the edits. All right, the bout sheet for this week's show: The Big Bang, Zhang Jale with another big victory. Then we preview that man we talked about, Canelo Alvarez takes on Jermel Charlo, and then joining us on the championship hotline, the legend himself, Jim Lampley. Then we have Ask Mario and. Final flurries. But before we get started, we want to let you know this podcast is sponsored by Hustler Casino, located in Gardena, California, just 20 minutes from downtown LA. Check out the latest promo, So Fine Sundays, where they're giving away tons of cash, beat the stadium traffic, and play your favorite games at Hustler Casino. For more info, go to hustlercasino.com. Also, shout out to our homies right here in Hollywood, the Scout Micro LA. They offer a unique and innovative hair loss solution for men. They specialize in a thing called SMT, which basically restores and replicates the exact shape and size of a hair follicle by tattooing tiny particles of pigment into the scalp, giving the illusion of hair. You can see results in as little as one treatment. It can restore a hairline, make her hair look thicker, more dense. If you're rocking it close, uh, it's a really way to go. It can conceal any sort of scars or burns you may have. They use the highest qualities. So if you're golden, going bald or just looking for a new look, call our homies over at Scout Micro LA and they will hook you up and mention this ad for a free consult. If you're getting thin, it'll help fill you in. All right, let's get started. <clears throat> this past Saturday from the Wembley Arena, Great Britain, bang, Again, Zhang Jalei, as expected, he only took half the time in banging out Joe Joyce in three. Mario, I think it's very simple now. Uh, the big bang, Zhang Jalei, is an upper crust, upper echelon heavyweight. I think he's got to be considered now one of the most uh, dangerous and um, elite big men in the heavyweight division. And also someone you want to see when you see a big guy like that, which for me, that's the knockout of the year. That one. I, give me another one. Yeah. Give me another one. That And the way, boom, and they're just the big guys, knockout of the year, you got this big guy, you all of a sudden start playing fantasy in your mind like, ooh, him and Tyson Fury would be good. I don't know if Tyson Fury wants any part of that guy, but I'll tell you what, he made a major statement in getting it done half the time like you just mentioned. And um, he's a guy who's, uh, you want to see him fight. And I think he's a major player now on the scene, and you can put him in there with Fury, Wilder, Usyk, and I think he'll hold his own. Look, we need characters in big men in the heavyweight division. He's checked off all the boxes. He ended the year on a high note. I, I would love to see him with all those guys I just uh, mentioned. As you said, he's big and strong and it can bang. He's six six two eighties. That's a big dude. And he's fluid. And he's yeah. southpaw. And what, dude, that's a problem. And what I loved about this fight was it wasn't just a left hand. He was a clean-up right hook. Mm-hmm. And so obviously he's evolving his skills. He's a much more relaxed fighter. <clears throat> and you take a look at the heavyweight landscape. Mario, the Ring Magazine, their champion is Alexander Usyk. Number one is Tyson Fury. Number two is Deontay Wilder. Three is Joshua. Number four is Gillet. And then number five is Andy Ruiz. I would say against any of these guys that we just mentioned, he's no worse than a two-to-one underdog against anyone. And I would say against certain guys, either even money or a slight favorite. 
Absolutely. And I'm glad he had the rematch, even though I think we were both a little reluctant to embrace it because we didn't seem that it didn't seem that it was warranted. But man, he just sort of proved that it wasn't a fluke and did it in even quicker fashion and really made a statement. He's he's on the scene. He's not to be ignored now. Uh, question with Joe Joyce. Did he look like a guy that fell off a cliff? Because from the very beginning, he couldn't stop the left. And, and worse than that, I think his punch resistant is rubbed down to the nub. Well, I don't know if he fell off or got shoved off. But he certainly it wasn't, wasn't one of his better nights. Um, and he's going to have to do some long, hard thinking in this off time right now. And this is the thing about the rematch clauses. I, I get it that there's a monetary value <laughs> to the fight. Maybe there was no other fight for him. But again, uh, based on the way, and, and I'm not second guessing, I'm first guessing because I said this last week. If I was his management, I would have steered clear. I just think Zhang Jolet is an incredibly difficult matchup. Joe Joyce is a plotter, and then out there's a perceptible loss of speed, reflexes, and quickness against a guy that can bang at that size and with that type of precision. Uh, it was a fait accompli what was going to happen here in the rematch. All right, moving ahead this weekend from the T-Mobile Arena in Viva Las Vegas, <laughs> Showtime pay-per-view for the undisputed super middleweight championship of the world. It is the return <clears throat> of Saul Alvarez against Jermel Charlo. Mario, I have a question. What do Josh Taylor, Stefan Fulton, and Errol Spence all have in common with Jermel Charlo coming into this fight? Take a guess. Oh, they all are on a losing streak. <laughs> they all came in on a year-plus layoff. They did, mm, and, I, and mm, I know where you're mm. going. However, however, with that said, I think this is a fascinating matchup in the sense that, look, Canelo, and I should have prefaced it by saying, no one has a resume like him in the sport right now, and that's why I think he's the biggest star and remains number one uh, when it comes to, to pay-per-view. However, there's been a lot of tread in those tires, and a lot of it has been because of these um, big matchups that he had and how many and how long he's been in the game. At some point, that wear and tear should take effect. Will it be Saturday night? I don't know. But my guy has had a few surgeries, and it's just kind of one of these, like you're wondering. He looks sharp um, in the gym on the pads. We obviously haven't been seeing him spar as of late. We know he prepares really hard. He's a disciplined fighter. But he's one of those guys where, like, he started so young and he's got so much mileage on him. At some point, you're going to have to see, because Father Time's undefeated, a little wear and tear. Take there's Some, some miles are going to have to start coming off that curveball. Will that be enough this Saturday? Remains to be seen. He said recently he sees himself fighting for another few years. He feels great. A lot of fighters say that, though. We'll see. What I do know is with the time off with Charlo, that's still a young, twitchy, athletic guy who um, is hungry even though he hasn't fought in about a year. And on paper, he is stylistically a bad matchup for Canelo. So, in Charlo's best case scenario, there's some wear and tear that finally comes to fruition on Canelo for Charlo. Charlo's raised up for this fight. He's going to use his athleticism and speed to maybe steal rounds. And then it could be one of the biggest upsets we've seen in a while. That is a scenario. However... I feel still the discipline, the experience, the power of Canelo and just the savvy veteran that he is will be too much. But I think it'll be an intriguing fight. I think the activity matters. I'm going to say it. I'm never changing my mind. And maybe this fight changes the recent trend. Timing, being in sync and actually just getting hit and building up callous 
matters. Absolutely. And with Jermel Charlo, we are talking about a fighter. He's not just moving up in weight one class. He's moving up a full two weight classes. Now, I believe they said that the plan is to make sure that we're not really close to 168, but closer to the low 160s. In my view, Mario, you're right. Speed, quickness, and the twitch. Charlo's going to give him problems early on with the speed and quickness. But this is what I do remember. Even in the fights that he won against Brian Castaño, then there was the draw. As athletic as Charlo is, I don't think he's slick. Everyone equates athleticism to slickness. Caleb Plant is slick. Correct. Charlo is fast and and explosive. I think there's a difference. And look what happened there. Look, in the Castaño fights, good point. In the first fight... He, I think he tried to stand and bang with him a little bit. If he tries to do that with Canelo, that's going to be, I think, a short yeah. night for him. But he did make, I think, a really good adjustment in the second fight. And he showed me that he's willing to make adjustments. He's he's able to sort of um, not get stuck and complacent in a certain hit style. Hit on the fly. And he can hit on the fly. Uh, I agree with you as far as as, uh, as the activity. I just don't know if those other factors that I mentioned previously will have a bigger toll on on the outcome. But I, I do find it a, a fascinating fight. You know, and, and let's go back to May when Alvarez made his homecoming. Look, those homecomings can go different ways, as you said. Sometimes you could say it's exciting. Other times you could say it's very distracting. But in my view, the fact that Charlo is this fiery, <laughs> blustery guy <laughs> and a bigger name to the American audiences, this game is so mental. And it's my opinion that Canelo is probably more mentally in tune and motivated for this fight, okay, than he was against John Ryder, who was a tough plugger. Now, I don't know. You're right. Maybe he did lose an inch off his fastball. But the question is, again, Jermel Charlo is going to be really, really interesting to me because I do expect him to win some early rounds. The first time Canelo pops him really hard, and, and let's face it, this is going to be the best puncher that he may have faced. And there's a very good chance with these weigh-ins being up to 30 hours plus. Mm. He could be getting hit by a cruiserweight. You know the way these guys blow up in weight after the fight. Yeah, but it is weigh-in. ironic. And when I saw them stand next to each other, Charlo, who you said is coming up to weight classes, looked like a much bigger fighter naturally. Uh, hold on. Taller not just bigger? Not just taller, the, the, Ken. The, the, not just taller and slender. The width of the legs no, 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 matters. I know, but, no, but he's broad, bro. He is. When I saw him, he's broad. Uh, in he's the not, upper body. He's not a little guy. But uh, no, no, said no, the no. same thing for Fulton Inoue, One, But one guy had the tree trunk legs. The other guy was a little bit broader and taller, and no, that, that was Fulton. No, you're right. So that's what I'm saying. He, he's not a small man, is my point. Yeah. And he looks like he carries that weight well. And he looked filled out, and he's, he's broad and stuff. So I don't think it's... Receiving the punches, I know, obviously, we don't know what to expect there. But it's not like we're seeing this guy um, come up who's uh, a much, much smaller man. I think they're going to probably be close to probably about the same weight. I'm intrigued. I still like Canelo in the fight, but I think he'll have his moments, Charlo. And I'm intrigued to see how Canelo looks at this point in his career. Yeah, and to me, if there's going to be any interest in a possible fight with Terrence Crawford, we do have to see a little bit more (laughs) corrosion from Canelo, because in this game, timing is everything, as is the trajectory of career. Mm-hmm. Mario, you spoke I'll about... I'll be there, by the way. Okay. I'm looking forward to it, so I'm going to be able to report back uh, in person, because as you know, sometimes it is a little different yep. uh, in person. And with Canelo, you talk about his career path. Turned pro at age 15. So, whatever age, I think he's like 33, 34... 
it's older than your usual garden variety 33, 34. But this is where I really Which is still not young these days, but it, you're right. Well, not when you have 64 fights. No, that's what I'm talking I about. Mean, but no, but I'm saying, generally speaking, that's still pretty young, the way guys are yeah. taking care of themselves. But when you start that young and you have that much money, yes, of course, it's going to catch up to Career you. record 59, 2 and 2 in an era when a lot of young fighters, who I, I believe, are really gifted, but are twice a year fighters at age 23 with 18 fights. Mm-hmm. We, we're not going to see a lot of careers like Canelo. No. I mean, forget careers that go to 60 fights. I don't know how many fighters we're going to see with real substantial runs at 40 and 50. Uh, We better appreciate what we have in Canelo because he is one of these guys, (laughs) regardless of your race, color, creed, religion. When Canelo Alvarez is on that calendar, you circle it with the red ink pen and you say, honey, we're not going out to the in-laws. We're staying home. Post Canelo, I don't know how many more guys are like that anymore. And what I've always said about Canelo is he's a great champion. He doesn't rest on his laurels. You never see that dude out of shape, get heavy between fights. When he says boxing, um, his life, his life, he, he means it. He's he's about that life. So he's a kid that other young boxers should look up to because he's that's how you carry yourself. All right, so that's it. This Saturday night, again, T-Mobile Arena on Showtime, pay-per-view. When we come back after this break, we're rejoined by an old friend, Jim Lampley, who'll be live on the scene in Las Vegas. More to come on the Three Knockdown Rule. This podcast is sponsored by Hustler Casino, located in Gardena, California, just 20 minutes from downtown L.A. Check out the latest promo, So Fine Sundays, where they're giving away tons of cash, beat the stadium traffic, and play your favorite games at Hustler Casino. For more info, go to HustlerCasino.com. The Three Knockdown Rule is back, and we'd love to partner with you. If you'd like to sponsor the Three Knockdown Rule with Steve Kim and yours truly, send an email right now to info at boxbid.io. Since we launched back in 2015, the Three Knockdown Rule has continued to be the most entertaining and most informative boxing podcast around. Three Knockdown Rule is available on all major podcast platforms as well as YouTube. Again, for information on sponsorship opportunities, email info at boxbid.io. And we're back on the three knockdown rule on the UFC fight pass. And Mario joining us is a very special friend of the show, past guest, always very popular. And he is missed. Mario, you can do the intro. Man, someone who I'm proud to to call a friend and who I think is the best broadcaster ever. My guy could make a cockroach race exciting. (laughs) He is the GOAT, uh, Mr. Jim Lampley. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you, Mario. Thank you, Steve. My first year at ABC Sports when I was being brought along through um, Wide World of Sports wacky events. Uh, I believe I might have done a cockroach. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure you made it incredibly exciting. (laughs) That's great. So this week, starting actually, I believe, on Tuesday night when you land in Las Vegas, you will be working for PPV.com. Uh, Jim, is this the first boxing event that you've been associated with in any way since HBO signed off in uh, late 2018? Yeah, uh, according to my memory, this is the very first boxing event I will have uh, attended and been a part of since HBO's last uh, uh, event at uh, StubHub on December 8, 2018. Wow, and I gotta say that the sport has not been the same without you. Not having it on HBO has has not been the same, and I know I'm not alone in thinking that. What is your role exactly this upcoming week, Jim? Well, PPV.com is 
developed a, as far as I know, a relatively new mode of expression, um, part of the expanding um, digital and electronic uh, imprint of uh, technology on sports, and uh, it creates an opportunity for <laughs> consumers, viewers, <clears throat> listeners, uh, fight fans, whatever ever want to call them, to interface with the event in a new way. Uh, they can be watching uh, Showtime pay-per-view and their broadcast of fight. They can be listening to Mauro Ranallo and his colleagues. They can, at the same time, if they wish, uh, look at their computer screens and watch live chat digitally typed in by Lance Pugmire and me. They can, if they want, send questions to Lance and me to ask for our answers uh, according to uh, what they want to know about our perceptions of the fight and what's going on. So it's uh, an additional channel, an additional track, if you will, uh, for consumers to use in following the fight, interacting with the fight. And, um, you know, the, the special wrinkle, I think, is that they can send us questions and say, hey, what do you think of this? Or even uh, send their own feedback. Why don't you say this? It might make you sound smart. Uh, I can imagine all sorts of things that viewer listeners might want to uh, include in their communication with Lance and me. Fun. That mm. sounds fun. Was it a tough sell for you, Jim? Do you do you miss boxing? I miss boxing terribly. Uh, I, you know, I, you do something for 31 years. You've come uh, immersed in the culture the way that I did during all of uh, those years. And yes, uh, you know, the ending is, was so abrupt. I mean, uh, AT&T walked in the door at Time Warner, and three or four days later, I was learning that we weren't going to be doing boxing anymore. So mm. obviously, that was uh, a decision that they had set in stone during their acquisition process, and why it was that they didn't want to uh, be involved in boxing anymore, I don't really know. Um so, yeah, I've missed it. I, as you guys probably know, I'm sure you do. I had an agreement not too long after um, 2019 began. I had an agreement to um, call a fight for Triller. Uh, Tantima Lopez's rematch with uh, uh, George Cambosos. You know, his first fight with George Cambosos after Lopez had gotten the upset win over Vasily Lomachenko. And... Um, I think it was Tafima who came down with COVID, and the fight was canceled, and so that went out the window. Uh, the next thing they wanted me to do was to go to Miami to do um, Evander Holyfield versus an MMA fighter. Unlike a lot of you guys, a lot of other people who are my colleagues in boxing, unlike Max Kellerman in particular, um, I'm not an MMA fan, and I've never paid a lot of attention to it. I don't know much of anything about it. I didn't feel qualified to go down to Miami and talk about Belfort versus uh, Holyfield, so uh, I turned that one down. Uh, I had heard lots of rumors and uh, um, sort of uh, whispers that I would be getting an offer from uh, a streaming service or a cable network to uh, take the blow-by-blow job and go forward, but that didn't happen. Uh, so I've been on the sidelines watching uh, boxing and uh, and caring about boxing, still passionately as a consumer, but without being in a position to 
talk about it, write about it, or uh, otherwise communicate. Jimmy, you've had such an illustrious career. I mean, you've called everything, and this is literally the truth. I'm just telling you, I first saw Jim Lampley in the early to mid-80s during the college halftime shows of college football, back when you had to literally watch Jim to get every score. It was a lot different back then, and that's when I first saw this guy right here who ended up becoming a friend. And you've done the Olympics. You've done every single major big event, in my view. Tennis, a lot of tennis. Yes. Yes. So, Jim, when it comes down to it, though, are you mostly known or best known, you think, your signature sport? Is it boxing? I went to 14 Olympics, which is more than Uh, any other American sports broadcaster, or at least that was the case when I uh, went to my last one in Beijing in 2008. Maybe somebody has sneaked past me since then, but I think I would know that. Uh, And I I have not been notified to that effect. So whether I'm wrong or I'm right, I'm still walking around saying I went to 14 Olympics than any other uh, American sports broadcaster. And obviously those were large audiences and I was on camera because at eight of them, I was a studio host. Um, and, uh, you know, I was the first person ever to stand on the sideline of a college football game with a camera and a microphone. Uh, I was the, the guinea pig who authored and introduced uh, that particular role. I did NFL games. Uh, as Mario points out, I did Wimbledon tennis for 12 years on HBO. Six hours a day, live, no commercials. Mm. Sometimes... Six hours a day, live, no commercials, no tennis. Uh, <laughs> Martina Navratilova, Arthur Ashe, Billy Jean King, John Lloyd, um, great lineup of expert commentators. Thank God for them on the rain days when there, there was no tennis. But at the end of the day, um, the very first live sports event my mother ever sat me down to watch on television in 1955 was Sugar Ray Robinson versus Bobo Olson their second fight for the middleweight championship of the world. Uh, My very first legitimate full-blown sports hero was Cassius Marcellus Clay. And and boxing has always been extremely close to my heart and very personal for me. So um, if you were to say, and, and I think a lot of people would, well, you're better known for boxing than for anything else. That's great. I'm, I'm thrilled with that. I care about it. I'm passionate about it. Uh, I learned a lot about it uh, over the years. And uh, yes, I think that boxing is as meaningful to my identity as any of the other things I had the privilege of doing. You know, Jim, it's obvious you still have a great passion for the sport and you're still a fan. How much of it do you follow? And given the rise of so many streaming services and platforms, because it used to be so easy, it was either HBO or Showtime, right? right? Now there's a, a there's a plethora of them. Do you find the sport more difficult to follow? And how much of it do you actually consume on a weekly basis? Well, I, I, I read the, the blogs that are important to read. I, I get uh, a transcript or a feed of, uh, you guys and uh, your podcast, uh, you know, I have a variety of outlets and exposures that help to keep me um, somewhat, somewhat up to speed uh, in the sport. It's not like it used to be. And uh, and the reason it's not like it used to be is because, of course, when I was calling fights on HBO, we would go into a hotel conference room the day before the fights and bring in the fighters from every fight we were going to show, if it was a pay-per-view, we were 
uh, showing four or five fights if it was a uh, standard HBO broadcast uh, uh, of a big-time championship fight. We were usually showing four or five fights or a doubleheader on a standard uh, Saturday night broadcast. And we would sit down with the fighters and talk to them face-to-face for uh, 15 minutes, 30 minutes for the, the uh, main event fighters. And um, so I had this unique opportunity to get to know the fighters on a personal level. There was nothing else in the world like that. There were few things I did in sports, uh, all the other sports that equaled that for uh, the amount of human preparation and inside knowledge. You know, I, I had a lot of friends who would uh, trek up to Vegas from Southern California when I was living in L.A., living in San Diego. And, of course, the big thing they always wanted to know when they came to town was who's going to win the fight because mm-hmm. they were going to go back, right? You know, tell me, <laughs> tell me who's going to win the fight. And I, I would always say to them, I'm going to sit down with these guys for 30 minutes each on Friday. I'm going to look into their eyes from across a conference room table. I'm going to listen to the answers to their questions. I'm going to see their body language. If you want me to give you a tip on who's going to win the fight, wait until all of that is done. Because once that's done, I'm usually 90% sure. Before that, Mm. it might be 50-50. But you 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 almost, it's so personal. It's so intimate. You have to hear them talk about themselves before you really have a strong idea as to what's going to happen on the fight. Well, now I regret not hitting you up more, Jim, prior. (laughs) This this is Ivan Bosky, insider trader here. (laughs) Look, you've already got enough money, Mario. Looking back, though, honestly, and maybe I'm just a prisoner of the moment of growing up, but honestly, I think HBO boxing is so desperately missed. The golden era, you, hearing you and Larry Merchant, and oh my, Harold Letterman, all the guys. God, it was just the best, and it was such a classy Beautiful production of the sport seen at the highest level. It is such a shame. It is not there. Never say never. They may. You never know. I'm the eternal optimist. They may want to revisit it. But in in, in talking about and taking a look back, Jim, can you give me just a couple moments of the time you at times that uh, that surprised you the most in certain outcomes, particular events, certain things that doing in 30 years? I'm sure just when you thought you've seen it all, something must have happened that just blew you away. Mario, I've probably told you this story before, but um, I was growing up in Hendersonville, North Carolina. That's where my mother sat me down at age six to watch Bob Olson versus uh, Sugar Ray Robinson for the middleweight championship. Eventually, she had to leave tiny Hendersonville, North Carolina. She was a double widow, raising two boys, uh, had to make money. She went to uh, Miami to try to learn how to sell life insurance. And uh, it was there in Miami when I was 14 years old, when I saved lawn mowing car washing money for months to buy a ticket that in my memory was maybe $100. It might have been 150 I don't know. I didn't save the ticket. I wish I had. It would be worth millions now. But the very first live prize fight I ever saw was Sonny Liston versus Cassius Clay, February 25, 64, wow. Miami Beach Convention mm-hmm. Center for the heavyweight championship of the world. Oh, man. Fast forward... Fast forward 26 years to a morning in Tokyo, Mm. 11.30 in the morning, Korakuen Stadium in Tokyo. And I'm sitting at ringside as the ringside blow-by-blow voice for the fight, which is going to supplant that one as the biggest upset in boxing history. Um, And uh, and it was shocking to me. It was 
it was like an out-of-body experience to realize in the late rounds as the outcome became abundantly clear. Uh, even before it happened, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, the very first live prize fight I ever saw was the biggest upset in the history of boxing. And now I am calling for the American audience the fight which will succeed it as the biggest upset in the history of boxing. And when um, Douglas floored Tyson in the 10th round and the referee was standing over Mike, and you'll recall the amazing pictures captured by a great ringside cameraman named Gory Sager of Mike reaching and floundering with his glove, <laughs> trying to pick up the mouthpiece to yep. get back into his mouth. And I'm watching that and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, what do I say about this? What is the right call? And I was already in the early stages of developing a friendship with the greatest actor of my generation, a man named Jack Nicholson. Oh, and I had wow. once asked, I had once asked Nicholson, what is it you try to keep in your mind? What's your mantra when you go to the set to do what you know is the pivotal scene in the movie? He said, Lamp, same thing I've said to myself from the first moment I started doing this. Don't overact. Mm. And as I tried to conjure a line for what was happening in Tyson <laughs> Douglas, I heard his voice. Don't overact. <laughs> and that's how I got well, to Mike Tyson has been knocked out. That's all. Mike Tyson has been knocked out. So appreciate that story, Jim. That is that is an incredible story. And uh, coincidentally, correct me if I'm wrong, just about five or six weeks later, you called one of my all-time favorite fights with Chavez Taylor, March uh, 17th. March 17th, 1990, Las Vegas Hilton. With Ch- man, what a two what a two month span with uh, uh, Tyson and Douglas, and then Chavez and Taylor. What a great great year. And I overtalked Chavez Taylor. Uh, I, I was hyper, uh, it was a, uh, an amazing and in some ways complex story and looking back at it, uh, unlike Tyson Douglas, I don't love the call, uh, because I tried to say everything all at once about it. And, and I believe I overtalked it. That was also true of the finish of Oscar De La Hoya against Fernando Vargas when mm. I got excited about all the emotional implications and the personal confrontation involved in that. And even though there are boxing fans who will come up to me on the street or in a shopping center and quote me every word of what I said at the end of uh, De La Hoya versus Vargas, I did not love it. Uh, I, I loved Mike Tyson has been knocked out and I loved it happened. It happened. I, that's exactly uh, what I was going to say next. That's funny that you say that. Yeah, first of all, I think you're being meticulous a little too hard on yourselves. Because those were great calls because as a fan, I can appreciate and remember vividly what happened. But when um, George Foreman knocked out Michael Moore, I'll never forget uh, that. When you took the pause, it happened. It happened. Well, and Jesus, that was fantastic. You know, Jim, you talk was, about the Tyson Douglas thing. I, I had lunch with your old friend, Larry Merchant, on Friday. And I still remember that line. He said, this makes Cinderella look like a sad story and i've always said that's the rfk assassination fight because everybody knows where they were where they either saw the fight or heard about mike tyson getting knocked out jimmy the highest compliment that i could pay hbo in addition to what mario stated earlier there are still days i'll go on youtube and there's nothing on or i have some free time i'll I'll go back to your pre-fight vignettes you used to do and stuff like Legendary Nights. Legendary Nights was, well, ironic. Classic. The one, the, the the one Chavez-Taylor yeah. one we yeah. just did was excellent. They were so good, and the storytelling was so, so good. I mean, 
Man, just the landscape of yeah. boxing and in general, and I don't know if I'm sounding like the old guy right now, but well, it we was, are. Well, <laughs> we it are. was just so good, though, yeah. back then, and it really, it's sorely missed. Another another actor friendship going back several years uh, when James Franco was coming up and making his name for himself. We buddied up in Hollywood and were spending time together, and he called me one day and said, I'm a uh, I'm about to uh, be involved in a boxing movie. Can you help me with some material so I can learn more and get more of a perspective about what boxing is all about? And I said, James, I'm going to send you my copy of the Legendary Knights episode on Meldrick Taylor versus Julio Cesar Chavez. And I'm not going to send you anything else because Mm. everything you need to learn about boxing, you will learn from that particular show. It was definitely the best of the Legendary Knights episodes, although ah, there were oh, a see. lot of really good ones. Well, that one was so, no, it was incredibly poignant. I throw it on every once in a while and just tell, to show my friends or my dad and I will watch it. It really was. The it way was it ends with Meldrick staring into the camera. Yes. And you know the and way then, it ended. And then is, the way, what becomes yeah. of it. Oh, man. No, but the, the Hagler Hearns episode, obviously, with my affinity for Hagler, is my favorite. It's, it's inspiring. Just the music they have and the arc of the stories. Jim, this is interesting. You were on the scene when a young... Saul Alvarez first came to America. He was kind of like this novelty, this redheaded Mexican with freckles, doesn't look like a normal Mexican. There is such a such a curiosity about him. And when you're doing his fights, when he won his first world title against Matthew Hatton at the Anaheim Pond, fast forward to now, did you think it would become all of this? Well, uh, I was trying to develop a... Um, a- drama project relative to a Mexican-American fighter at that time. And I was working with a Mexican screenwriter, a great Mexican screenwriter named Guillermo Arriaga. He won the Academy Award for writing Battle. Uh, He had several other uh, amazing uh, screenplays. And I remember him telling me it will be extremely difficult, regardless of how good he is, for Canelo Alvarez to become the biggest star in Mexican boxing. And I Mm. said, why? Why, Guillermo? Uh, You know, he, he has to win the fights, right? No, there's more to it than that. He is not from Sinaloa. He is not mm-hmm. from Mexico City. He is not from Tijuana. He is from what seems to most Mexicans to be an exotic and privileged place. He's from the Yucatan. He has pale skin and red hair. This will be an uphill fight for him. Oh, by the way, he was originally the television darling product of a network named Televisa, which for whatever reason wasn't popular. Uh, mm-hmm. among the great mass of Mexican consumers. So that operated against him as well. Well, look at him now. Uh, and despite the loss to Bivol, certainly before the loss to Bivol, if you were pinned down and had to choose who is the greatest fighter in Mexican history, do you really think that Chavez's record uh, or Salvador Sanchez, who died young, did they have more points on the board than Canelo? Or does Canelo have the most points on the board of, of any Mexican fighter ever? There's an argument there to be made. An argument to um, be made, yes. So it's, it's an interesting position that he's now in. Because the B-Bowl matchup was a matchmaking error. I, you know, I don't know whether somebody advised him incorrectly or whether he was the one who made that choice. Maybe I'll learn more about it this coming weekend. But, you know, you needed only to watch the first couple of rounds to see, you know, this 
this was a bridge too far. Mm. Uh, and uh, it, it may not have robbed him of all of his cachet, but a little. So what what's left now? He's still the number one dollar-for-dollar dollar attraction in boxing. He's made sums of money far beyond what he might have dreamed of as a boy. He's bought a lot of beautiful horses. He has bought beautiful ranches in Yucatan. He's been celebrated, uh, wined and dined by the most uh, exalted upper crust of Mexican society. What's left? I think what's left is to try to reach back to number one pound for pound. He was number one pound for pound, and he fought me both. Uh, now, I think you and I will agree, both of you guys, that number one pound for pound goes through Omaha, Nebraska. Goes mm-hmm. through a very dark-hearted, mean-spirited killer fighter named Terrence Crawford. <laughs> and, uh, and yes, there's a 21-pound weight difference at this moment. But I'm sure Crawford is willing to close some of that gap. He might only need Canelo to close a little bit of it to to get to the point where they can get together and make an overwhelming sum of money. And if Canelo could win that fight, he'd be back to number one pound for pound. I think that's the logical target, the logical Mm -hmm. goal for Canelo coming into this fight. And he has to be careful not to look past this one because this is a dangerous matchup too. I agree with you. And I will add that another classic fight that you called and I can compare um, speaking of a fighter jumping up in weight classes when Pacquiao fought De La Hoya going into it Jim did you expect that outcome I don't think I've ever asked you um, I did not expect Oscar to win the fight I expected him to be a great deal more competitive than he was uh, smart people whom I respected in the sport had told me that he, he ought to be uh, much more competitive than he was. Uh, and now, looking back and having watched the De La Hoya documentary project, which, by the way, I thought was extremely revealing and very watchable, I think I understand a lot of, of what happened and, and how a lot of um, his competitive spirit and intelligence about competition by that point had been given away to the uh, to the other problems uh, in his life. So I was surprised that it wasn't closer than it was, but it didn't shock me uh, that Pacquiao was able to win the fight. Well, Jim, another fighter that ended up being, I think, an all-time great and a generational talent that you were able to kind of see from the genesis of it, Terrence Crawford, you just mentioned him. Did it surprise you how lopsided his fight with Errol Spence was in the summer? Nope. Uh, and and uh, even though that's a that sounds like a self congratulatory thing to say, uh, you can go find a Tom Hauser article from the Monday following the fight, in which Hauser said most experts going into the fight called it a pick'em fight. The one who didn't was Jim Lampley, mm. uh, and he quoted me as saying that I thought that Crawford might very well need, excuse me, that Spence might very well need a rescue late in the fight. And he did get a rescue late in the fight. And I I saw that coming because, um, again, what did I call Crawford? A dark-hearted, mean-spirited, competitive fighter. Yep. He has has the best killer instinct in boxing. Yep. Uh, He knows exactly how to put the hammer down when he wants to put the hammer down. He's ambidextrous. Uh, he has an 
in this era, he has a unique ability to um, balance himself prior to a counterpunch in such a way that he can deliver a counterpunch with maximum power. Uh, the target is never more, never more vulnerable than when he's being countered. And, uh, and he has gone forward with his weight to try to land the punch. And that's when Terrence catches you uh, and turns you inside out. And those are devastatingly powerful uh, counter shots. And I think that Spence was shocked. Uh, I don't know if the people in his corner were shocked. I was not shocked. I've seen Crawford do that to other people as well. I agree with you. I called Crawford from the beginning. I'll be honest, did not see. I thought it would be mm-hmm. much more competitive. But I thought Crawford, um, I always thought was going to be a victor at that fight. Hypothetical matchup down the line. I know we have to see how Canelo and Charlo uh, play out. But if Crawford and Canelo were to come to fruition, you see that being competitive still, even with the 21-pound difference, Jim? Well, first, it's a fascinating bargaining process, okay? Because they're both going to make tons and tons of money. The bargaining process is about the weight. Uh, if I'm Crawford, I don't want to have to go up to 168 pounds to get the fight. I want to somehow go uh, Canelo into thinking that it's okay to fight him at, you know, best of all possible worlds, 154. Uh, or at the very worst, I'll go to 160. But if, if I'm Terrence Crawford, I want to try to make clear that there's no way you're going to get me to come into the ring at 168. That's your game not mine. If, if Crawford is able to get Canelo down to 160, and some of this depends on what I see out of Canelo this weekend. Right. But let's say he has a good fight, not a great fight, and he wins. Uh, if Crawford can get him down to 160, I make it a pick and fight. Ooh. If Crawford can get him down to 154 or 157, hmm. Crawford is, in my view, a big favorite in the fight. 168, I still have to favor Canelo. Well, okay, so obviously he what? gives him much more of a shot than you do, Mario, because you think it's a, I don't say physical mismatch, you think that's a lot to bite off for Crawford at All 68. All I know is this. I've seen Canelo good hit by Gennady Golovkin, flush on the chin. Kovalev, Kovalev. Big punchers. At Crawford's yeah. not going to, I think Canelo's going to walk through those punches. Honestly, he's not going to all of a sudden yeah. gain all the, he's not going to be stronger than Triple G. And I've, I haven't seen um, Crawford face anyone with the power of like a Canelo, and I think that's going to be the, well, uh, the difference down the line. Jim, quick question. Let's say Crawford does the unthinkable and wins the fight. Let's say they come to an agreement at a catch weight. Does Crawford all of a, start, all of a sudden start to mention all-time great status? I'm talking like top 15-ish, maybe. You know, people ask me, who does he remind you of? And remember where my boxing education began and you know i hear people say okay it reminds me of ray leonard no he doesn't mm-hmm. have that kind of uh footwork and maneuverability he doesn't have the showmanship he's not ray leonard well he reminds me of tommy hearns no he's not mm-hmm. long and uh and a uh a hard throwing far-reaching puncher mm-hmm. like those guys so who's he like he's like ray robinson oh. he has a 50s mentality He's a hard guy. He's somebody you don't yeah. want to see in a dark alley. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. I think, again, counterpunching with balance, timing, and power, to me, he's the he's the latter-day Sugar Ray Robinson, uh, and that's part of why I thought he would easily put Spence away. 
I love me some Crawford for the reasons you mentioned in a great, it makes adjustments beautifully, ambidextrous, that mean-spirited, such a, a closer. Again, playing this hypothetical matchup, Prime Crawford. What is Prime Crawford? Are we in Prime Crawford right now? Prime Crawford 140, that's something that, that we would Ooh, have to discover. that's a great question. But let's assume hmm. Prime Crawford, whatever that weight is, Mayweather at 47. Who do you like, Jim? Mayweather. Uh, and, and I think that's because Crawford's an offensive fighter and, and does want to entertain the audience. Uh, I still haven't seen the fighter that I think would beat Floyd Mayweather because Floyd Mayweather didn't give a happy damn about entertaining the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was only there to win the fight, and if he had to take all the air out of the balloon to do it, he was going to do it. He did not mind being disapproved of. How could he get away with that? He was the first great social media genius. Uh, he was the first person to realize that there's a constituency out there in the social media audience who will love you for being mean-spirited, um, for being belittling to uh, the consumer, et cetera, et cetera, who, uh, who will love you for insulting people left and right. Uh, Floyd showed a particular politician that you could do that and get away with it. Well, you know what? This is going to surprise you, but Mario, Jim, at 47, I saw Floyd Mayweather get absolute help from Marcos Maidana. I've always thought the best version of Mayweather was 30 to 35. At 47, agree or disagree i kind of like bud crawford in that fight what about you well i didn't listen i'm not going to disagree with you i think of myself as one of the world's biggest crawford fans i i just think that it's very hard to beat a guy who doesn't care what the fight looks like mario i i go with crawford at 47 and i agree with you the most dangerous mayweather i think was at lightweight only because i think he's got heavier hands his the way he is able to make adjustments and his ambidextrous style right. I think he'll still look like you said, if you were to look at comment, I don't think my Donna has as much success as he does with like a Crawford. Exactly. Uh, Maybe not your, even a Jose Luis Castillo. No, Jose Luis Castillo. Castillo. By the way, which I still think he won. First, first fight, I yeah. still think he won that first one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> there was a, that my Donna one was close. So, you know, I haven't seen Crawford in trouble. Right. And I haven't That's- seen Crawford even hurt or in a close fight. So if you really start to think about it, you know what I'm saying? It's not far-fetched. It's not far-fetched. Uh, Jim, quick question as we wind it down with you. Who are the fighters today that you say, you know what, honey? I'm going to watch him tonight. Don't make any plans. Like, who who excites you? Eric Crawford. I mean, you know, that, uh, <laughs> Inouye is in that class. Mm-hmm. I want to see Inouye. Uh, just oh, yeah. the spectacular talent. But uh, for the mentality, for the fighter in him, Terrence uh, Crawford. And oh, by the way, Canelo, because his career is historic. Uh, Canelo, because he's fighting to try to go out as the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a, an extremely exalted uh, reputation in the sport. But it, it's endangered right now. If he loses to Jermel Charlo, uh, he's taken one more back against being able to make that claim. Last question. I could talk to you all, all uh, night here, Jim. Um, someone who you've called, uh, whose career you've called since he made his um, debut here in the States, who I consider, he's in my um, top five greatest fighters, believe it or not, Manny Pacquiao. Okay, I really do. And I'll tell you why I do that. Because... I seen him all the times when he can. He's this big. He's a slight guy. And the fact that he should have really been a lightweight his whole career. And he essentially fought 
all his big money fights at welterweight. And he's a little guy. And he... He went to the fire. He didn't. Marquez was a bad matchup for him. The guy he went fought him four times. times. (laughs) Morales three times. Barrera. This. I mean, he fought a who's who of Hall of Fame because in the way and in the fashion there was an there was a run there where he was just murdering Cotto, Hatton, exactly (laughs) murdering these guys. And again, way out. He's fighting two three weight classes out of what's supposed to be his natural weight class, but because of their money fights, and he looks incredible doing it. Where do you rank him? As far as your um, all-time greats, does he even make the t- the list? Well, he's, he's definitely one of the top five most entertaining fighters of all time. Entertaining is I mean, another word I didn't even use, too. I didn't even factor that in exactly. Entertaining because he would hit and get hit. Uh, okay, and in order to be spectacularly entertaining, think Arturo Gatti. Uh, you've got to be willing to hit uh, and get hit. So uh, he, he's one of the top five uh, of all time in that regard. And... Um, 122 up to 135, uh, best I ever saw, but I didn't saw, I didn't see Henry Armstrong. Uh, so I, I can't put him up against the all time best in that particular weight area. Um, but you know, he was a, he was a monstrous talent and I'd, I never forget. And I'm sure that Larry has told you the story. We, we went to South Africa to do Lennox Lewis against Kasim Rockman. We saw a guy on the undercard named Lesnola Ledwaba. Mm-hmm. Ledwaba won the 122-pound world championship. And Larry and I are both absolutely convinced this guy has to be the greatest 122-pound fighter in the world. Look at the style, the balance, the timing, all of the boxing skill. And Pacquiao was like a bottom-of-the-barrel opponent mm-hmm. for Lesnola Ledwaba. I remember you mispronounced uh, his name when he – I remember that because nobody knew about him. It was a late exactly. replacement, late and they replacement. went down the IBF ratings because Enrique Sanchez pulls out with an injury – so the IBF, Murad Muhammad actually did a good thing. He said to everybody, who wants this fight? And Manny Pacquiao, on like a month's notice, that I'm right here. Mm. And he fought him on the De La Hoya Javier Castillejo undercard. And I remember, Jim, everyone thought, who's this little guy? He just stole the show. Well, top-ranked matchmakers. And how did, um, how did Terrence Crawford see the light of day? Terrence Crawford was a last-minute throw-in against greatest Prescott, Prescott yeah. on mm-hmm. the undercard of a Vegas pay-per-view. At a moment when Prescott was expected to, you know, easily rise up toward the 135-pound championship of the world. And Tim Bradley told uh, Brad Goodman and the other matchmaker at uh, top rank, put this sparring partner of mine in against him. He'll beat him. And uh, sure enough, uh, Terrence won every round from Brady's Prescott and went on to become Terrence Crawford. Jim, final question as we wrap it up here. I I know fans want to know, and I'm always curious. How's life in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, for you? What are you doing on a daily be a basis? It'd be a lot better if Hubert Davis can <laughs> code and, and learn how to use his uh, his moving parts. Or maybe uh, the new point guard, Elliot Cadeau, is going to Elliot Cadeau is going to become the de facto coach, and uh, and they will again become a great team with uh, the current crop of transfer shooters. Last year's transfer shooters didn't do the job. But on, in the meantime, um, we're watching Drake May. And mm-hmm. I, I hope you guys saw Drake May's left-handed touchdown pass Saturday I night. did. He, he's magical. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's a spectacular player uh, who is likely to have a long and spectacular uh, career in front of him. And he's a great kid. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I came back to the place I most love on the planet to teach uh, a graduate school course and to 
uh, go to football and basketball games with the chancellor, who's my best friend, uh, with whom I share a birthday, and um, it's everything I dreamed it would be. And I, I didn't even know before I came that we would have Drake May. That's awesome. Jim, we look forward to your ongoing coverage this week on PPV.com. Make sure you order it. And also our good friend Lance Pugmire will be on the scene for oh, nice. the LA Times. Jim, you are always invited to the three knockdown rule. Please join us again soon. I will, whenever you want me to do it. Great I'll talk to you later. Great talking to you, buddy. Okay. Thank you. You're the best. All right. Thanks <laughs> to the legend, Jim Lampley. We'll be back. We wrap it up here on the three knockdown rule. Shout out to our boy Oscar Lopez, no relation, from Scalp Micro LA. His company offers a unique and very innovative hair loss solution for men. They specialize in a pigmentation known as SMP. Basically, it replicates the exact shape and size of hair follicles by tattooing little particles of pigment into the scalp, giving the illusion of hair. Don't trip. It's actually very realistic. You can see the results in as little as one treatment. They create and restore hairlines, give the appearance of density to thinning hair. So if it's starting to go, it'll look a little thicker. If you're going bald or you're just looking for a new uh, look this summer, check out our homies over at Scout Micro LA and mention this ad for a free consult. This podcast is sponsored by Hustler Casino, located in Gardena, California, just 20 minutes from downtown L.A. Check out the latest promo, So Fine Sundays, where they are giving away tons of cash, beat the stadium traffic, and play your favorite games at Hustler Casino. For more info, go to HustlerCasino.com. And we are back on the three knockdown rule. We just want to let everyone know, if you'd like to get involved with the three knockdown rule and sponsor our show, we still have some slots available. Please reach out to us by emailing info at boxbid.io. Once again, that's info at boxbid.io. Boxbid.io is an online platform that is launching soon that helps build public figures and professionals in the world of boxing get sponsorships. We are proudly working with boxbid.io. Mario, like a football coach, I just threw out the game plan. I said, you know what? Let, 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 give Lampley the ball. Dude, I wish I didn't have to go pick up my kids right now or else I'd say, let's just keep talking. You know, call he was an great. Want to call him an Uber? Yeah, <laughs> yeah my 10-year-old. Hey, yeah. get an Uber. Get an Uber. <laughs> I got the tip. He's great, man. We got we have a, we have to have him back. Yes, and by we the, can stroll down so many great fights and memory lanes. The dude's memory is insane, encyclopedic. <laughs> yeah, uh, by the way, I, like I said, I had lunch with Larry Merchant on Friday at the Water Grill. We, we do that once a month. We got to get him on. Yes, and he, I said to him, "What do you think of Crawford Spence?" And he, and, and the only, the way he can say it, it was a conclusive, dominant. Performance And the way he said, you're like, this needs to be on the he's air. Still, he's still got it. So anyway, we'd like to thank everyone that made this show possible on behalf of Mario Lopez, Smokington, Frazier, and Tino, Tino on the edits. Goodbye, everybody.